This year, an estimated 1.5 million people will go on a short-term mission trip. But what happens after those teams have finished their work and headed back home? Mission trips from the perspective of those they serve. That's the topic on this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. When you go one time and never show up, it sounds like poverty tourism. You go and come back and write nice stories and feel good about yourself. But when you go back, when you go back again and go back again, you become family. Hello, I'm Jeff and welcome to the Mission Life Podcast. This is part two of a conversation with Jesse Togbadoya, founder and director of the Balama Development Alliance an economic development and disciple-making organization operating out of rural Liberia, West Africa. In part one, I tell part of Jesse's amazing story, so check that out on iTunes or on my website, jeffreams.com. Briefly, though, Jesse is from a rural village called Balama. Now, one thing to know about Liberia is that it's still recovering from a devastating 14-year civil war dating through the 90s and early 2000s. On a visit with Jesse in 2009, we drove through the capital of Monrovia, and this is how he described the impact of the war. After the displacement camps were all um, broken down, um, after these finally returned, most of them, um, all of the people in the displacement camp were asked to go back to their villages. And in the villages, the services they got in the camps were no longer available to them. And some of them went to nothing, you know, the home they had that were broken down, their huts were burned, so they had to start from scratch. So they just went like empty-handed, except for the top they took from the displacement camp, and then to start life over. Um, and it was really hard. Determined to help his country recover from the war, Jesse pursued an education in the U.S. where he earned a master's in business and a master's in divinity. Then he went back to his home village in 2007 with the dream of starting a disciple-making and economic development organization. I wanted to talk to Jesse about his experience with mission teams from the USA. Of those 1.5 million, most of them will come back and talk about what they've experienced, what they saw and what they did. But rarely do we get to hear from those that hosted the team. Take, for example, the people in Jesse's village. What's it like for them once the Americans leave? What are they saying? Not only that, but I wanted his thoughts on how organizations like his can help American teams make sure the trip is actually helpful. Underground, the receiving ministry should be able as much as possible to continuously communicate with the sending church so that expectations are clarified. When people travel in the West and to other uh, tourist locations, they expect to have one running water and electricity. That is just a basic of modernization. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> the word is not there yet. <laughs> Some part of the word <laughs> still live in the Stone Age. Running water and electric electricity are luxury. 
the sending or the receiving ministry should be very clear and it has nothing to do with who you are or how you see yourself if the if the mission team sees you sees you as poor okay so be it but you should be able to tell the mission team that you do not have running water you do not have electricity give them some something to expect let them be clear in their mind that this is not they're not going to have mirrors in the bathroom there is not a plug in the wall where they can plug curlers and dry their hair or dry boat blowers. No. If they're going to rough it, let them know this is going to be a roughing trip. I, I often boast of one mission team we've had. And I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to Jeff Rims. But the first mission team from Donwoody Baptist Church headed by Steve Kyle that went to Liberia, especially to Bansu. Uh, I am proud of that team, not because they accomplished ministry and other teams that have gone, but just their resilience. And when I asked them, what is it that prepare you for this? And all of them, what they told me, we were prepared by our church letting us know that we should have no expectations. They set the bar like, very minimal you you will have food to eat but you not promise a bed and if you are handed a cardboard a cardboard um, to sleep on be grateful and one thing i remember i think they had a band on their hand um and that band symbolizes flexibility so it's important that the receiving organization help set expectations and prepare the team for the culture. How cultures see time differently is a big deal, and expectations for what will make the team a success is also a big deal, Jesse explains. I've seen time play out was with a particular volunteer who I would not name a mission team member. The team member was very involved in whatever skill they were providing or the project they were doing. You know, at the end of the trip, the group want to see if they say we're going to do a building. They want to see that building up. And of course, even the receiving team, the receiving ministry want to see the building up too. Everybody wants to see that. But the primary reason the team go is really relationship. If you're going to spend all your time building a building without teaching the local people how to take care of that building, that means you have to be going every year to repair the building. And uh, if you took a machine that you're setting up and you spend all your time just setting up the machine without training the locals how to maintain it, then that means you are indirectly committing yourself to going every year to maintain the, the machine. So I'm saying um, a group that went to provide specific skill and one of our team members just needed help with word processing. They were trying to learn MS Word. And they didn't think it was important to spend some time teaching the staff member how to use Microsoft Word. It was important to go and build stuff. And I was very disappointed by that. Because the person who you're refusing to help is the person who's going to make the ministry sustainable. It's that person who is in the trenches every day. They will be there. After a week, the team bikes up and leave. But that staff member, the local staff member, is going to remain. And it's so important to build some relationship with them 
and to empower them in whatever way the receiving ministry has designed. Once a team returns to the States, friends and family want to know how the trip went. Now, normally they just want to hear a few words or maybe a story or two. But what's the reaction by the people they just served? What are the people in, let's say, Africa or Guatemala or wherever the trip was, what are they saying about the team and their experience? I think friendship is um, one thing that benefits both um, the sending and the receiving. The team that goes and the local people. People like to make friends. When the team leaves, people talk about their friends. People talk about their relationship, learning about their friends and their family, and learning about just getting to know their friend better, the new friend they've met better. However, friendship is time. When you befriend somebody and don't ever see them again, or maybe don't communicate, don't maintain communication with them, um, I see a lot of little children, young men, even grown-ups. Um, people get in their lives and leave. Remember, these sometimes are broken people, especially with a country that have been through war. You see kids whose parents were killed during the war who have a void in their lives. For some of them, a team member may be their first adult who truly showed them what love is. And you start to show what that love is and you disappear after two weeks and never get seen again. And that child starts to develop problem with trusting people. Um, the next time another team comes, they're really wondering in their mind, do I really trust? For a child, do I really trust again to let another person into my life who will leave and never um, communicate with me or never keep in touch with me? The other side of it also is, I mean, it's great to get souvenirs. Souvenirs are great, but as team members go, when you buy souvenirs, I want you to be sensitive. In the U.S., going to the mall and spending maybe same, spend four five hundred dollars is nothing. But if you go to other countries, and a local person who live on less than dollar a day, see you spend four hundred dollars, and then the local ministry use all their resources to care for the team, etc., and then you buy all the expensive souvenir and leave. It's just a negative. <laughs> it, it leaves a bad taste, basically. So that's something teams need to be aware of. I want to re-emphasize, I'm not saying do not get souvenir, but buying very extravagant or expensive souvenir in the presence of locals, is a little insensitive. It's moving to hear how the people think about their teams as their friends and wish for more communication. That's important for us to consider as we're visiting because there's usually so much to see, to take in, to process. And then there's the work teams go to do. But at least for Jesse and his village, the trip is about the people and the friendships that can be made. I wanted to revisit his comments about the children, though. What are we supposed to do differently? After all, we can't help that we're only there for one or two weeks and then need to return home. When team members decide to go on a mission trip, I really encourage ascending church to have a follow-up plan. Every member on the team needs to tell you 
or needs to tell the team leader or facilitator how they intend to follow up relationship they will build. Um, and they need to commit to that. If not, then it's really not advisable to go. One of the um, the, the Donwoody teams, a team we've had a couple of team members go back um, more than once. And when the villagers see the team member who's returning, you can see that they can see them light up. They see true friendship. This is not somebody who just came to see poverty. When you go one time and never show up, it sounds like poverty tourism. You go and come back and write nice stories and feel good about yourself. But when you go back, when you go back again and go back again, you become family. You become a part of the community. You become one with the community. Your ministry become incarnational. Sometimes when you come back from a mission trip, you think, what difference did I really make? I was there for a week, maybe two. And yet there was so much need, so much poverty, so much more we could have done. I asked Jesse that question, and he had an interesting perspective. To make impact, as I said earlier, you have to put some planning in. And that planning, even from an individual team member level, they have to tell you what their follow-up plan is. And the church that is sending the mission team also has to have a follow-up plan. We're going on a mission trip, so what? What do we do next? How do we plan to engage with this community next? What is our next step? What kind of relationship do we want to forge with them? For example, don't we really send a team? Um, don't we really have sent two teams already? Um, some team members went twice to Bansu. The first trip was a listening trip, and I am so proud of that team. When they went, all they did was they listened to the local people. They sat down with them, the team members, especially the team leaders. And this is a lawyer. He's not a pastor, but whatever it is, I guess it's the Holy Spirit. He ministered to the community in such a way that some people who are seminary trained are not able to minister that way. He immersed himself into the life of the people. And that made them comfortable. That made them talk to him openly. They were able to be frank to share with him their struggle. They were able to be frank to share with him their resources. So as the team went, um, they asked them, what is it that we can partner with you, with you in doing? Um, one of the needs that they shared was they had a school that, was, that had no roof and that they needed to use. It was leaking. The roof was leaking. So the team asks, what part of it can you do? And the local um, community said, we have timbers. We have timbers all around here. We can cut timbers, but we don't have money to buy the team roof or buy nails. And it was then that Don Woody came in to buy the nails and to buy the, 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 the team roof and to sew uniform for the kids. But it was a mutually beneficial partnership 
the people themselves participated in their own school building because they provided the timbers. They cut the timbers, they carry on their head and brought it to town, and they used the timber to roof the building. So they, they have ownership of it. It would have been different. Don't would you have fold to just say, hey, we'll, we'll do the roof. But what, what, if you do that, what have you done? You are basically saying to them, you are not capable of taking care of yourself. We are here to take care of you. And, and Christ intended that for nobody. Christ doesn't want anybody to be dependent on another person, especially in the, for a long time. Well, we, and we were impressed when we saw the children carrying timbers. <laughs> Every, it seemed like a the whole village came together the whole village. to put that roof on that house. And one of the um, um, students who just, I tell you, I was, uh, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen the movie Mulan, a Chinese tale. Um, this Mad Madeline is the student name. She's the only child, and her father is old, so he could not carry timber. And um, when we when they were cutting the timber, we said girls would not take timber; they would just fetch water. And Madeline's dad could not go, so she decided she would go to take the timber for her father. Without us knowing, she had gone. She went ahead and got the timber. We met her at a school with the timber on her head, and I asked her, "But you, we told you that girls not to go for timber. Why did you go?" She said, "I had to go and do it for my dad because he's not able to." And when I thought of Mulan, I just said, wow. I was on a mission trip one time to Haiti, and a friend of mine on the team asked everybody he saw, what can Americans learn from Haitians? And I'll never forget the first time I saw him ask that question. The Haitian pastor looked at him and said, no Americans ever asked us that question. He thought for a moment, and he said, God is concerned about our faithfulness and not our capacity. And everybody on the team was struck by that comment. So I asked Jesse that same question. What are some things that we can learn from Liberians? And on the flip side, what are some things they can learn from us? I think from the teachers who go, um, from the U.S. teachers who go from their, from their perspective, I've heard from a lot of them that life is not about how much you have in terms of material things. The commitment to be a teacher is not whether or not you have a computer in your classroom or you have the most expensive easel. It's, it's a calling. The teacher with computer in her classroom is just as good and committed as the teacher who's still a lonely teacher in the village who stands on the chalkboard and write. So I've heard them say, this is a calling. It's not about what we have in the classroom. It's the commitment you have to the children and their development. I've also, so that I would say is a learning. Um, um, that has been one of the learning um, uh, curve from the USN. From the Liberian end, uh, it has been really helpful to have these men and women come and share their knowledge. You know, teach those uh, teachers who haven't had the opportunity to go to college. And um, teaching skills like lesson planning, like classroom management, 
like testing and evaluation, those hard skills, those skills that makes a teacher a good teacher. They have been able to get it without going to a formal college. And I, I would say that's, that's a success story. And um, just also um, knowing that the team has committed to maintaining ongoing relationship with the teachers there. Like last year, because of Ebola, the teachers did not have a chance to go. But guess what they did? They produced videos. They went to their classroom and videotaped themselves teaching. And then they sent it to the teachers in Liberia. And they did um, specific um, presentation on different teaching styles and techniques. And it was very helpful for the teachers in Liberia to watch the video, even though their friends could not come because of Ebola, but they still maintain that relationship. And that learning, that learning, that quest for learning, I guess, also, it, it exposes the team, the team to discovering what God is doing in that community. Because we need to remember that God was at work in that community before the team got there. Somehow God has maintained them through generation. So you're not, the team is not the one carrying God there. Mm -hmm. God has been there and at work. It's a matter of listening, being patient, and just being quiet for many and listening to them to see how God has been at work in the community and in their individual lives. And then praying about how you can, uh, the team can join God into um, transforming the community. And from our perspective, it's, it's, it's helpful too if the partner receiving a team is honest about what will be most helpful because we're full of ideas. Americans are full of ideas, we're full of solutions, we're full of resources and, and we have all the best intentions and we tend to be a generous group of people and we want to help. And, um, and, and, it's, and it's very beneficial to us if someone has the courage to say, you know what, that's a good idea. And I've seen you do this. That's a good idea, but here's what re is really needed. And then we go in a different direction. You know, everybody wants to know their help is actually helpful. And, 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 and it takes a relationship of trust. Uh, I'm able to tell you, no, we don't need that, Jeff, because I trust you. I know you are in this. And you understand that both of us our goal is that a community will be sustainable. You know, you just don't want to keep sending stuff to one group of people. You want to make sure that a community is sustainable. And sustainability will come if the people themselves are involved in the process. Yeah. Involving them in the process will take, will require them to have some responsibility. Involvement goes with responsibility. They have to take responsibility for their own lives for their own communities. So um, why it's easier for Sunday school to collect, to collect shoes and clothes, you know, and bring um, backpack. But when you do that for a parent, you give the parent, uh, you give children backpacks and school supply. What would a parent do when school opens? You know, you parents want the opportunity to be able to participate in their children's learning experience. Now, there may be some parents who can absolutely cannot afford it. 
we will we sometimes try to make resources available to those parents. But um, we, I have been comfortable to tell you no, we don't need this because we have a trusting relationship. I have no fear that if I tell you no, um, you're going to stop supporting the work, our yeah. partnership. So that 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 is consoling. It's good to know that your partner is in it with you and that you are in it together. That's it for this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. Check out past episodes and show notes on my website, jeffreams.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review and any comments you might have. For more on Jesse and his ministry, the Balama Development Alliance, check out balamaproject.org. He and his team are doing incredible work. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another helpful conversation on how to live life on mission.